Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Very nice. Wow. I do want to add a little footnote that because of your faithful giving every month, we budget for VBS. And every month we put a little bit of money over under the banner of VBS. So it's because of your faithful giving. Thank you, Sister Amber. I don't want your job. Don't misunderstand me. Thank you, all of you. But you know in life, everything takes money. We don't take an offering for a VBS. But I bet you we spent close to $2,000. And I don't care about that part. The part is we all pitch in every month. And we have a great church to minister to our wonderful little kids. And I'm so happy and so proud of what took place this week. I could only take three days down here. And to be fair to myself, I did every other day. I can't do back-to-back. I haven't had kids in the home for a long time. I'm acclimating. I came down. I say, bye, I got to go. This looks wonderful. You're leaving? Yeah, I got to make a stop on the way home. Because I knew I had like three stop signs. I got to stop on the way home. Is that misleading? Okay, whoever I told you that this week, I'm sorry. I'm going to be like Hannah. On the, I lied. Well, at least I'm confessing on the platform. Dear Lord, some people don't confess at all. Anyway, an incredible week. And then I come back today, and we come back, and it's like it never happened. So to the breakdown and the cleaning crew, you guys are incredible. You sprinkle a little pixie dust. It all went back to normal. And we come in and have an amazing church. And I, I'm just sitting over there enjoying that. Wow, this is my happy place. And I want it to be your happy place. I want it to be your connectivity, that you enjoy it. And again, I'm just amazed at what all our church has done this week. And it's been mentioned, I won't belabor it, but just thank you to everybody that did anything to make BBS happen. Praise God. I do want to welcome back before I preach. I want to welcome back Tracy and Renee Jones. They are back with us in the house. Hey, in the house. They have been gone to Japan on duty, Marines tour of duty for three years. And so for three years, we've been, they've been gone. They're back here, back in the States and got, got, to, got to service with us. So Tracy and Renee, I know we've communicated on WhatsApp a little bit while you're gone. I just say thank you, guys. We love you. Welcome back home. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Praise God. If you're able to stand, which is our custom, 1 Samuel. Chapter 17. Praise God. It's been mentioned, but in case you missed it, our community groups do start back this week. So if you are part of our groups, please be in your places or at your computer when your time comes this week. 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible reads, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Don't worry about the Philistine, this Philistine David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. I'm going to tiptoe into verse 34 
with three words. But David persisted. The preceding words and sentences before that are a little discouraging. But 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34 picks up with three words. But David persisted. Watch this and I'll let you be seated. Acts 13 and 22, the NIV. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. Here's his rebuttal. I will go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. I'm sorry. Let me back up. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him and found David, son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Yeah, 1 Samuel depicting David in a relationship with Saul. Acts 33 and 22 is another angle. I just want to preach to you on this message. The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would rest upon me once again, Lord, as I bring hope as I bring possibilities to someone today in this house, somebody that's streaming, let there be no distractions, God. Let us sit quietly. Let us sit respectfully in the presence of Jehovah today as you speak to us. Let me flow in the spirit. One more time as you're seated and give him an offering of praise. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. I think what is conspicuous to me in the two books of the writings that God called David a man after his own heart. But in 1 Samuel 17, Saul called David a boy. Con names, contrasting abilities. God said, you're a man after my own heart. Saul, the agitator, the tormented, called David a boy. The quote from Charles Swindoll says, I don't like it because I know it's true. 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react. While we find ourselves praying to get out of things, we ignore maybe what God is trying to do inside of us. While we pray to get out, maybe God is trying to do something in. If you get what you want, you'll never allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. If you only get what you want, then you'll mess the thing up. I thought about this as I was putting together, and if you only give your children everything they want, they do not turn out very good. They don't want broccoli. They don't want meat and potatoes. They want jelly beans and Skittles and three musketeers, and sugar-coated cereal. But it won't be long that their diet that you are letting them eat will make a trip to the dentist. And although you bought the Skittles and the jelly beans, you're going to be buying the dentist practice as well before it's over. Why did you let them eat that? 
because that's what they wanted. They asked for cupcakes in the morning. They asked for chocolate cake for dinner. So I gave them what they wanted. I got to thinking that sometimes maybe we might be like that. And we expect God to give us everything that we ask for. And if God did that, can I tell somebody here this morning that you would mess up the situation that God has put you in. Something that you're trying to pray out of, God is trying to put you in something in a divine manner, manner to where you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. You'll mess it up. Why? Because you won't have the character. You won't have the prayer life, the anointing. You won't have the capacity and love for God to carry the thing that God has put in you. So sometimes God does not answer the prayer that you're praying. Sometimes God does not lend an ear to exactly what you want because God knows exactly what we can do and what we can bear and what we can carry. And if God's going to bless me with something, then I've got to make sure that I steward that blessing. I've got to make sure that I manage what God has brought into my life. If you're going to live in the overflow, you got to make sure you don't get your eyes off the stuff, get your eyes on the stuff and get your eyes on from what's it came from. No, I'm standing strong. I can take a blessing from God. I can take an assignment from God. I can take an anointing from God. Why? Because God has put something in me to help sustain me in this life that I'm living. The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. For those of you who are praying for things, I'm not saying stop praying. No, keep praying. If you're coming on Friday to our ongoing Friday prayer, please keep coming. But instead, start praying for the things that God wants in you. Don't tell God what to put in you. Don't tell God what's for dinner. Don't tell God where I'm going to live. Don't tell God what I'm going. No, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to walk in the spirit. And since you know the beginning from the ending, and I only know my current situation, I'm going to trust you. And when you don't do it, watch me now, I'm still going to trust you. Someone shout, I'm going to trust you. Don't limit God to someone who can get stuff for you while refusing to allow him to do something in you. Someone shout, in me. God is always working in us. And how many times have we prayed for God to take me out of something? When it's been a divine order from heaven for me to be in the situation. When you allow God to do something in you, even if you don't get what you want, you're content because you know God's at work in your life. Maybe the surroundings and the atmosphere and the things that you see are not what you prayed for or not what you want. But if I know that God is in it, then I'm content in the storm. I'm content in the valley. I'm content in... Somebody listen to me this morning. I'm content. Why? Because I'm walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. If God allows me to walk in the flesh or if I do it on my own, eventually I'm going to mess it up. And I don't have the capacity to steward the blessing that God is working on. Sometimes miracles, sometimes blessings take a while to manifest themselves. Throughout the scriptures, there is immediate and instant healing. And then there was a process of healing. 
or the miracle, Brother Foster, eventually came. What I'm preaching to us this morning is if you are in the process of God doing something in you, don't be discontent by the surroundings. Could it could have come straight from God and you're trying to rearrange the map that he's ordered you to walk. I'm just saying, God, whatever has come my way, give me the strength. I trust you. I'm praying. I have faith in you. I'm believing in you. And I know something ridiculous is going to happen in a situation that I see no possibility. outside that I'm angry with God for not doing what I told him or asked him to do think about your prayers are you communicating with God are you telling him are you asking him we know just in interpersonal relationships that you get more out of some conversation with someone if you ask them compared to telling them and how many times do we default to our natural humanity and we find ourselves telling God what he needs to do, telling God what he needs to heal, telling God what he needs to bless? Lord, let us not fall into that trap with our horizontal relationships. If they get sideways, Lord, don't ever let my vertical relationship come into the presence of God and begin to tell you like I know what's going on and what I know what's best for me. Parents, can I talk to you for just a slight second? You know what? You are to steward your kid's life. You know what's best for them, regardless of the trouble they give you, regardless of the sassiness they give you. Hey, I'm the parent. I've been 14 before. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. This is my house. But sometimes we are the 14-year in the presence of God telling God what to do. You know, I already gave myself a bunch of amens because I knew it wouldn't get them here. The, my amens are already in my spirit, so you, can, you don't have to, it's okay. But how many times do we parent our kids what's best for them and then we don't let God do what's best for us? Hello, somebody. And then when it doesn't turn out, I've already mentioned, we become angry with God, disenchanted, disillusioned. And if we go on that path and we carry that out long enough, year after year, we'll begin to think there is no God. So where does God settle the answer? Where does God settle the direction? When does God settle the score? When I allow him to do in my life what he's doing in my life. Well, how do I know God is doing this in my life? Because when I get in the presence of God, God speaks into my life. He speaks into my spirit. I have peace. When I get up off my knees, I'm still facing this situation. But I know that I've been in the presence with God. And I've been in the Holy of Holies. And I've been on holy ground. And I've been in the Shekinah glory of God. Did it change? No, but I talked to God. Again, parents, generally speaking, we know what's best for our kids. We are to steward them. We are to manage them. We are to train them. We are to guide them. We are to mentor them. We are to groom them into what? A productive, godly citizen. And legally, I guess we have 18 years to figure that out. But I want to make sure that as we get older and we get so smart and so wise that we begin to treat God in the manner that we would not allow our kids to treat us. 
Your kid can go in the store. How many times have we taken our kids in the store? And now there's another generation of grandkids coming in the store, and they want something, and you say no. And what do they do? They scream, and they cry, and you're waiting for CPS, and you're going to get arrested. You're on the video camera. Pastor beat grandson in aisle 13B by the ketchup. Yes, he did. You talk about singing old school songs, I'm going to whip out a belt and discipline you old school style. But God's in charge of every situation. And if I find myself throwing a tantrum, temperature tantrum, how are you going? I don't have kids anymore. I don't even say the word anymore. And as I tell my wife, hey, don't give me a hard time. I speak two languages. Back off. Sometimes they collide. Okay, I'm sorry. I I apologize to my mother-in-law a million times over. I'm sorry for the way I've laughed every time you said English and Spanish words because I am one of them now. I tell her, before I began Spanish, I spoke perfect English. I don't speak perfect English anymore. But here, what's this? The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. Let, Let me go back to my scripture setting in 1 Samuel. I believe that morning David gets up, has no idea that he's going to step into a fight. He didn't know there was going to be a fight. He had no plans to kill someone that day. His father woke him up and said, hey, here's some bread and cheese. Take it to your brothers. And he has no idea that he's going to hear the taunts of Goliath that day. It's a brand new environment. And as he heard the taunts of Goliath, it would provoke something in him all of a sudden. You see, this is what I know. You don't get to choose your giants. Your giants choose you. The taunting and the berating. And rarely do you choose your fight. Rarely do you choose your storm. Rarely do you choose your struggle. But you get up that day and you choose not to struggle, but you choose to fight. I'm going to choose to get moving. I didn't pick this fight, but I'm going to fight. I didn't pick this valley, but I'm going to pray. I didn't pick this storm, but I'm going to keep driving. I didn't pick this rain, but I'm going to keep walking even if I don't have an umbrella. Why? Because my steps are ordered of God. I've been blood bought. I've been purchased by the power of Calvary. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm going to choose to fight, but I didn't pick the fight. I didn't start the fight. I woke up one day. And I was receiving taunts from the enemy. And I said, no, not on this day. Something's going to change. Something provoked inside of David's spirit. He stood up and he came against a nine-foot-tall man. I don't choose the storms, but I trust God in the storm. That he will sustain us and he will not leave us. But I can still have victory in situations that I did not choose. We don't choose a lot of things. They happen. They sneak up. They come around. They catch us by surprise. And so I don't choose the fight. But I want you to understand that I must choose to fight. I'm getting here on a Sunday 
when I don't feel like it. I'm getting in a community group and I'm weighing in when I've had a rough week. I'm going to be kind to my family when everything's falling apart. I'm in the middle of a fight. I'm fighting for my soul. I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for my home. I didn't sign up for this, but this is what's happening this day. And I'm not a quitter, Brother Foster. I'm not retreating. I'm not going back out in the world. He brought me out of darkness into this marvelous light, and I will never quit, and I will always fight. Mm. I didn't choose 2020. I didn't choose the pandemic. Maybe you didn't choose your marriage right now. You thought, hey, they were fantastic when we started. They seemed normal. Maybe that's a bad example. I'll do better next week. I don't know. You, when you get under the anointing, you never know what's going to come out. I didn't choose this struggle. I didn't choose to lose my job. I didn't choose this situation. I didn't choose to be born at this time. I didn't believe for this. This was not on my prayer list. Ah, let me preach. But please, my friend, don't die as a victim of your circumstances because you're angry with a fight that's been given to you. Don't die as a victim. You may not be able to change the fight, but you can fight. Brother Foster, we can fight. That's not spiritual warfare. It's a slugfest in the spirit. It's people of God getting into the Holy of Holies. And what propels a lot of people in the Holy of Holies is because I'm in a fight and I can't figure this out and I'm not giving ground to the enemy and I'm not leaning into worldliness and I'm not leaning into ungodliness. So what am I doing? I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for salvation. I'm fighting for my peace of mind. I'm fighting against the enemy. I didn't pick it. I didn't ask for it, but I'm in it. So I'm going to fight. That's what the church does. The church fights for the people of God. We fight spiritual warfare. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Thank God for Calvary. The blood, it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. Wow, that is the gospel of possibilities. And so I always say, I keep repeating myself intentionally. I'm not that old. It's intentional at this point. The church always wins, the church never loses. The church never dies. The church never retreats. We don't pick our battles. We didn't pick, I didn't pick 2020. And we hit some rough waters. And we negotiated through the icebergs. And we took on water. But Brother Foster, we're still here. Old ship of Zion is still floating, and it's not only floating, it's moving. And it's not only moving, it's sailing. It's not only sailing, my friend, it's getting back up to the speedboat that it used to be. The old ship of Zion will never sink, will never take on water to its detriment. Why? Because the church always wins. Why? Because Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Why? Because there was a Calvary 2,000 years ago. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Why? Because there was a day of Pentecost. Why? Because God's Spirit now lives inside of me not externally but it leads me and it guides me and it strengthens me 
You may not like everything that's going on around you. And if you're not careful, you'll spend the next year of your life trying to pray out of something that God is trying to do in you. And you'll miss the lesson. You'll miss the growth. You'll miss the seeing your Goliath fall because you didn't like the fight. Let me say that to you again. Let me read that to you again. I want you to listen to this. You may not like everything that's going on around you. And if you're not careful, you'll spend the next year of your life trying to pray out of something that God is trying to do in you. And you'll miss the lesson. You'll miss the growth. You'll miss miss seeing Goliath fall because you didn't like the fight. Ridiculous gospel of possibility. Some of our greatest seasons of growth are in a fight that we didn't expect. You see, your last giant will not be your last giant. They have a way of popping up in life. They have a way of multiplying. They're like rabbits. There's giants everywhere. And no, we don't invite them to the party. I don't invite them to my home. I don't invite them to my life. But some way in this life, they have a way of popping up. So when I slay one giant, I can't just throw away all my tools and my skill sets and my resources. I got to say, you know what? There's going to be another giant. And the beautiful thing about David, I think where David excelled in areas of his life, is when he got in front of Goliath. He's a 17-year-old boy, and he's fighting a 9-foot man that has been a warrior since his youth. Saul called him a boy. Even in the 21st century, that is an innuendo that doesn't fly well. Hey, boy. Oh, I know you're not talking. Huh? You're, there must be someone. Be, there must be someone standing behind me because that didn't go to me. Huh? Boy. Taunts. Hey, boy, what you going to do now? Boy, going to fight me? And so Goliath was taunting. And then his trusted leader, David's provoked. David sees a ridiculous possibility. And Saul says, you're but a boy. He's a man. He's been warring since his youth. In other words, he's a journeyman. The guy is over double your height. You can't even lift his shield. You're but a boy. How many times have you felt in the fight that I'm but a boy? That I don't know if I can make this. And that you hear the taunts after day after day. The taunt, the taunt, the taunts. And the enemy will get in your head. And he'll get in your spirit and he'll taunt you against the vices that used to bind you. He'll taunt you against the things that held you captive. And it's taunting 
and taunting and taunting and taunting. And you feel like you're wearing down and the enemy's grinding you to powder. And you do everything you can to get to church on a Sunday and try to lift up your hands that seem a little feeble upon your back. You drag yourself in. And I say, yes, I do. I drag myself in some Sundays. Yes, I do. Not every week is good, but I'm not going to hear the taunts of the enemy and not and cut out the voice of God. I'm going to get into the, and I'm going to get back out there and say, hey, who are you calling a boy? I've come to you in the name of the Lord. And today is your last day. Satan, you're coming down. Goliath, you're coming down. Hey, you've spoken too long for 40 days and 40 nights. Taunt after taunt after taunt after taunt. Every morning they would get up. 40 mornings, 40 breakfasts. 40 desayunars. Correcto? Gracias. 40 breakfasts. 40 almuzars. 40 lunches. 40 dinners. 40 cenars. I don't know what's dinner. Very close. You did good. You're getting better. I will give it to you. You're getting better. Whoever shouted that out. 40. And grinding and grinding. But to have ridiculous mentality, you have to choose courage over worry. That's ridiculous. I know. But the brothers chose worry. I'm asking us as a church. I didn't choose 2020. You didn't choose 2020. Everything changed in 2020. I refuse to worry when I know God is working inside of his church. The outside might be a different complexion of atmosphere. The outside might be a different forecast. But when I get in the presence of God, hear me, people. When I hear the voice of God, when I feel the power of worship, that I know that God is still in control. And even though I prayed to get out of it, maybe God in his divine wisdom kept me in it. And I have to find peace in that. Whatever state I find myself in, the apostle Paul said, there I am content. I'm going to just assume that God is in control. I'm going to just assume that God's going to win the battle. I'm going to just... Oh, that's ridiculous. You're right. But that's the gospel of ridiculous possibilities. That's crazy. You're right. But that's the gospel of crazy possibilities. That's insane. You're right. But that's the gospel of insane possibilities. Am I going to come with courage? Am I going to come with worry? And God is speaking to his church. That we are coming out of a pandemic. And every month gets better. I know about L.A. County. I know about the mask. Everybody quit asking me if I know, okay? (laughs) Do you know about the mask in L.A.? Yes. Hey, pastor, did you hear about? Yes. Did you know? Yes, I live in the same world you do. So just for the record and the World Wide Web, I know last night at midnight, L.A. County required masks on inside and outside of buildings. 
Okay, we clear? We good? We're good. Okay, back to preaching. What are you going to do, Pastor? No, I said back to preaching. Are you going to make us where I said back to preaching. That's ridiculous. But that's the ridiculous of possibilities. You see, this is what I know, that the Bible... Let me. Yeah, Mom. Do whatever she says unto you and do it. John chapter 2. Listen to me. It's okay, honey. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Stay put. Remember, we can't leave. If you're wondering what I'm doing, Brother Foster, I've pastored long enough, so I'm not wondering what I'm doing. I'm, I'm wondering right now if I should make this a two-part message because I feel rushed. That's what I'm wondering, Brother Blair. That God wants his church to hear what I'm preaching. And it's been challenging. I'm going to use the biblical term, it's been ridiculous. But in the course of the possibilities, through a ridiculous eyesight, God always moves. When you zoom out and you look at the scripture, and all the ridiculous things that happen, there was a need, and there was a God, and there was an instruction. Everybody in the Bible had a need. And Brother Blair, God always had an instruction. Ridiculous. Give me a few more minutes. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to do something that frightens you. David in verse 32 says, don't worry. He's not claiming he's fearless. Courage is not fearless. Courage is placing more faith in God's word than the mountain. Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua to be strong. Be courageous. God is saying something about his promise that will go beyond the emotion and fear. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm trying. It's not easy. But I'm not going to worry. I'm going to put my faith in my courage in the profound word of God and get my eyes off the mountain. Get my eyes off the enemy. Get my eyes off the Goliath. And learn to have courage. Everything is not always perfect. Everything is not always right. People get done wrong. People get done dirty. I've been done wrong. We all have. It's not a badge of honor. It's life. But if Dr. Charles Swindoll is right, 
What am I going to do within me? What does this begin to do? How does this process it? And how does this talk to this? It's how I process and manage and steward the insides of me. When the 10% is coming against me. And maybe the 10% is valid and the 10% is legit. Can't argue that. You're right, brother. You're right, sister. But how do I process the, 10, the 90%? I told you on the front side, I don't like his quote. Because I want it to be the other way around. It's 90% you and 10% I'll figure it out. That's not the quote. And so somewhere in our walk with God, in our relationship, church, the ridiculous gospels of possibilities is us seeing something that is not seen in the atmosphere or in the surroundings or where we are. We've got to look at things through a different lens. What would God see? How would God react? The spies go into the promised land. Ten come back, nay. Two come back, yay. You saw the same thing. You came back with a different report. You both know what's going on. So I'm thinking as a leader, what's going on? Either come back all nay or come back all yay. Why is the jury split? They all saw the same thing, Brother Tim. But it's the ones that saw the ridiculous possibilities that tried to convince Joshua or Moses. And they said, hey, we are this and they are that. But we serve a mighty God. I saw this and I saw that, but God brought us out of Egypt. We wandered for 40 years. He brought us here. This is our land. We're going to take it. They saw something that the other 10 could not see or watch me, did not want to see. Is it an ability issue or a capability issue? And so the ridiculous possibility that the two spies came back And thank God the two spies prevailed. Thank God, Brother Foster, the Bible reads, and they went forth into a land that floweth with milk and honey. Thank God they went into the promised land. God promised them something back in Egypt in captivity and under the oppression of the Egyptians, and it was a ridiculous possibility that how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to find the promised land? How far is it? How are we going to sneak out? Are we going to get slaughtered? That's ridiculous. True statement. But I'm going I'm to just park it right here. Nolan, you can come. True statement. That's ridiculous. But Brother Foster, what makes it, pre- what, what is so fun to preach it? Because I already know what happened. You see, all the miracles in the Bible are incredibly ridiculous But Heidi, we've just been reading them since Sunday school so they don't wow us no more. I'm going to be honest. I'm a pastor, okay? Sometimes I read some stories and I think, oh, come on. Are you serious? And then when I flip over here, holy Bible. Then I say, holy moly. It's true. They, two million people left Egypt. Come on. 
That's ridiculous. The Red Sea parted like walls and they walked on dry land. Hashtag yawn. That's ridiculous. But Brother Savage, I've been reading that since Sunday school. And I forget the power of the ridiculous story. It becomes commonplace. But Brother Foster, it's easier to preach now. We're going to get to Canaan's land. And they're going to chase us and the water's going to swallow them up. That's ridiculous. If it wasn't in here, I would agree with you. I'd probably counsel you, quit reading them goofy books that mess you up. Don't read those. But when this is on the spine, it's the gospel of ridiculous possibilities. So maybe you're not trying to get out of Egypt. Someone already did that. But what is your ridiculous possibility that you can't see through? I'm going to preach the second half next Sunday, but let me just kind of wrap up with this, okay? What are you up against? What story do you have that when you play it through your mind, you think, that's ridiculous? Have you applied for a job and there's like 1,100 people? Oh, God's going to give me a job. There's 1,100 people. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that is. But don't forget the God part. You're coming out of Egypt. That's ridiculous. But God said we were going, oh, my bad. Noah, build a boat. That's ridiculous. What's a boat? It's crafted with wood, and it's going to float on water. What's water? Not what comes out of the ground. It's going to come from the sky. That's ridiculous. Foster, I've, been, I've heard about Noah back to my first grade in Sunday school. And I forget how ridiculous it sounds until you see what happened. So let me just put a pause button here. Part two next Sunday, but let me end with this. If you could stand, stand with me. I'm going to end with this. How many among us or how many online that you have something you're going through and to think that God could fix it, alter it, sounds ridiculous. My marriage is blown up. God could fix that. That's ridiculous. That's why they have divorce courts, because they don't get fixed. No, 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 wait a minute. I haven't worked for months, and the pandemic messed me up, and I'm behind on my bills, and I've been furloughed, and I'm never going to get a full-time job again. I'm never going to get my... But God's going to do something. That's ridiculous. That's the ridiculous possibilities of the gospel. So in your mind, in your heart, in your life, in your home, in your marriage, what is ridiculous that you need? 
Anybody need some relationships mended? Yeah, we, we don't speak much. It's been 19 years. God can help you. That's ridiculous. Any mom and dads estranged from their adult kids? Oh, God's going to bring us back together. That's ridiculous. Anybody hurting and you can't figure out how to get out of the hurt? Can't figure out how to get out of the cave? You can't figure out how to get out of the ditch? You've fallen in? Oh, there's going to come a man that we're going to call him the Good Samaritan. And he don't normally talk to you, but he's going to help you. That's ridiculous. I, I, I wonder how many ridiculous stories are simmering in God's church that God wants to blow up the results. But we conclude that's ridiculous and go home. We cut and run. What are you up against? What's pressuring you this week? What angers you? What upsets you? You feel powerless? You feel like the enemy's grinding you to powder? Then that is your ridiculous situation. To think there's an answer there that you can't see, that sounds ridiculous. To think there's a result right here in front of me that I can't see because I've been dealing with this for so long, Pastor, that's ridiculous. I know. That's what I'm preaching about. The ridiculous gospel of possibilities. But here, the Word of God, we come, we've grown accustomed to those ridiculous things because we can read the end of the story. But what ridiculous story is in here that we haven't seen the end? And you're somewhere in the middle of the narrative and it's not looking good, Brother Foster. It's not going to end well. God's going to help it end well. That's ridiculous. That's my point. You're getting it. You're learning. That's my point. If you think about the possibility, if you think about the God thing, and you naturally want to say that's ridiculous, then you're getting my message. Because that's where God excels. That's where God shows up and shows off for His glory, and it draws people to Him because He's blowing up ridiculous situations. John chapter 2. We ran out of wine. Get some water. That's ridiculous. We need to take our first city, Joshua. It's Jericho. March around the walls seven days. On the seventh day, march seven times. That's ridiculous. Why can't I just march one time? You're God. You got to think about if you're going to do it. That's ridiculous. March. This is probably where God said, March boy. March boy. That's ridiculous. I want to be healed of leprosy. Good. Go dip in the dirtiest Jordan River, not once, not your big toe, seven times. That's ridiculous. You want your miracle? So listen to me. I'm, qu- I'm, I'm quitting. Listen, listen. 
What is your ridiculous scenario that you can't get past? Because it's you. Our problem, our scenario is always bigger than anything else. The Bible works. Those are the end results, Brother Foster. Those are completed stories, completed lives. But we are writing our narrative now. Get that ridiculous thing that's in your head. If God could do this, Sister Ramos, and I would naturally think, you could probably convince me, oh, that's ridiculous, Pastor. My bad. Sorry I wasted your time. You got me on that one. But wait. What about God's ridiculous stories? I'm going to save the rest. I got way more stories. Just come back next Sunday, okay? I'm going to leave you like on the cliffhanger, you know, on the series. They're going to kill it. Boop. Commercial. What's going to happen? Join us next Sunday as we, right? Here, let's do this, okay? Bring your ridiculous story next Sunday in your mind and heart. And if you'll let this half marinate all week, I'll lay one more layer on top of that. And then I'm going to show you after next Sunday what God's going to do. Now, you're, some of you are already thinking, that's ridiculous. You're getting it. You're getting it. Brilliant people that go to this church. Bring your ridiculous stuff, but I'm not letting you go yet. I feel like the guy. But wait, there's more. If you need a touch from God, and you say, Pastor, I'm excited, I believe you, but my ridiculous story I don't want to deal with for a whole another week, then you know what? You need to come. If you're ridiculous story, if you can put along another week, put along. If you don't want to, these altars are going to be for you. Minister staff, pastoral staff, please mask up. Let's respect people. Come up front. I don't want people looking for where you are. You guys spread out. Come on, Sister Martha. Got a mask up. The Savage, you have a mask? Okay, you will? Okay. I want to respect everybody. Because we're going, to, we're going to get up into your ridiculous situation. If your spirit is, okay, I need to watch the second half of the movie to believe, then you better come back next Sunday. But I'm going to pray a prayer, and then if you guys need a touch in your ridiculous story, come down during my prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, the stories and the possibilities, God, are so ridiculous, we dismiss them. We write them off. We push away. But I pray, God, as my message is preached today and we preach next week, that your people that are streaming and that are in person will take the ridiculous, bring it to the altar, let it be anointed, and, God, the end of the stories in the Bible will be the exact same endings as the people of God in Truvine Temecula in the 21st century. Why? Because your word and your voice and your power never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, forever. Hebrews 13, 8 validates it. And, God, we are leaning into the possibilities of somebody being touched today. I ask this in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My friend, if you need a a possibility touched and you can't wait a week and you believe by faith what I preach to is true, I want you to come and be anointed. Don't belabor your miracle. Don't belabor the point. You don't need another week. Let God do what he wants to do. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. 
You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.